Well, hi there, everybody. Sorry to interrupt your other podcasts that you're listening to, but a little uh, fun announcement to make here. Casey, in summertime, we'd like to get up to some antics. And those antics would involve getting a bunch of nerds together and doing what nerds do best, yelling at each other. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So we are going to do Nerd Debate live this year. <gasps> Nerd Debate 5 live. There we in go. Person. Boom. That yes. is the subtitle. We just came up with it. We will be doing this at the amazing Bullfinch Brew Pub here in Syracuse, New York. So find all the information that you need at our social media or at nightshiftradio.com. We've drank Bullfinch's beer before. Dave, the brewmaster at Bullfinch, makes amazing beers. Check out the amazing stuff that's happening in Bullfinch. You can go to bullfinchbrewpub.com. Come join us on Saturday, July the 29th at 7.30 and be sure to be ready to listen to a bunch of nerds <laughs> argue with each other. <laughs> Alright, we're going to leave your podcast now. Goodbye. <laughs> You're listening to the Never Heard of It podcast. A Night Shift Radio original. Every week we bring you the good, the bad, the weird, and lesser known streaming movies. Hit subscribe for new episodes every Thursday and Sunday. So this has been a nice uh, change of pace in the weather, but I say that knowing full well I am East Coast. Oh my God. And people on the West Coast are... Uh, not doing so so great. So I I haven't been paying attention, but I assume from that that we're in fire season. Is that, is that accurate? Uh, yeah, actually, there is a, there's one in New York oh. raging right now, oh, wow. which has okay. uh, has been pretty nice. Yeah. yeah, I know there's there's droughts all over the world, um, and I, I assume it's fire season. We have uh, we have predictions of the Atlantic hurricane season being uh, worse than usual. We have the uh, yeah. the rare uh, third year in a row with a La Nina event. Uh, shit's, shit's getting getting a little wild out there in nature. Uh, it, it really is. And you know what? I'll be honest. This is not the future that the Piranha women <laughs> promised us. And... Uh, I'm a little, I'm a little upset about that. This is not the future that anyone promised us. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and that being sadly said, hello and welcome to the Never Heard of It podcast. I'm your host, Michael Fight. And I'm switching my na- major from home economics to feminist studies. <laughs> Lesbian dance theory. Lesbian dance theory a... actually sounds like a fucking dope <laughs> major. Like if that was I a mean, major, like, uh, Let's be real. I would totally take lesbian dance theory. How fucking amazing. You're right. That would be the most amazing class ever. It's like there I mean there's there's obviously the, the dance element so it's an it's an arts course sure. but like it's cultural, it's it's exploring sexuality like it has everything and probably has women in the writers room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh. Uh, that movie was bad. They, that movie was really bad. And you know, unlike where this one, I think you you could say this definitely is a product of its time, even though it was only like, you know, 30 years ago. Uh, it's definitely, it tries. I, like, it really tried to, to make it like a positive statement, but like very backhandedly. I have thoughts, and I'm not sure exactly what they tried here, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into that because, you know, this is the 80s. Women can drive yeah. tractor trailers. You remember those commercials? <laughs> National Tractor Trailer School. I vaguely do remember Come those. on, this is the 80s. And then they later on updated it when it wasn't the 80s anymore. And she was like, this is the 90s. And we're like, 
yeah, I mean, we all have calendars on our wall. Uh, <laughs> yes, because we were quite aware. We all had, everybody had calendars on their wall because that's the only way you knew what day it was. And even then, and you know, you know, how many more people will, will look you right in the eye and say, I have no fucking clue what day today is because no one has a calendar on their wall anymore. I really, I should love, I've got this like pin board thing that I, that I hang shit up on next to my desk. I should put an actual calendar there. Yeah. I don't fucking know what day it is. See, I, I, uh, I feel the opposite way where like now I'm too aware of what day it is because my phone and my, my like watch and everything, like my computer is telling me like, it's this day. I'm like, uh, I know. The thing is like, I don't want that. There are like... Every single one of these devices has a way of like putting that information like real, like right front and center where you can't miss it. Very soon, what they call them widgets and such. Uh, yes. <laughs> which I love that is a like a nonsense word for technical doodads and whatnot that has been appropriated into the technical lexicon to actually mean something real <laughs> and not just a fade up. You know, the, the what's a widget? The who's a knots? Uh, it's a full circle irony yeah. right there. Uh, so every single one of these devices has a way to put that information right there so you can't miss it. Uh, I opt not to do that. Uh, and like, it's there, it's available. Like if I, if I actually like pay attention, it's there at the top of my phone screen. It's there I'll lay up in the corner of my on my computer, but I have to look for it and I have to remember that it's there. And let's be real of all the things that I have to remember about computing devices on a daily basis, the location of the time is not or the time and date, like not top of mind for me to use another uh, industry buzzword. <laughs> <laughs> top of my, yeah. You know, I'll be honest though. I also miss knowing what day it is specifically because of what's on TV oh, that night. Yeah. You'd be like, Oh, Family Matters is on tonight. TGIF, that means it's Friday. motherfuckers. Yeah, TGIF, right? Like, that's how you look. Oh, right. That's how I know what day it is. They're like, oh, it's Saturday. All of my cartoons are on. Yeah. Like, yeah. gotcha. I know what time it is because, you know, X-Men is on at, at 4.30 yeah. Uh, yeah. at the end of the day every day. So, like, I know it's 4.30 right now. Yeah, it's Friday afternoon. I'm home from work, or from, from school, which feels like work. I'm watching Spider-Man. Yeah. I'm watching X-Men. Then, like, the boring shit comes on. And then it's, we're hanging out with the Tanners and the Winslows tomorrow morning morning is cartoons all day a big old bowl of grape nuts fuck yes right like this this is the hang on we gotta go back a second your childhood favorite cereal was grape nuts my favorite cereal is still grape nuts I think, like of all the, like I just imagine like young Caleb like watching commercials and it's like you know the latest Tonka truck and then it's like Yum grape nuts, full fiber, and Caleb's like, buy me that shit. Like, I am nine years old, and that's the cereal I'm looking Fuck Lucky Charms, fuck Honey Smacks, Pops. I don't want any of that shit. I want grape nuts, Mom. You get that shit in my bowl right now. Listen, I love Frosted Mini Weights, uh, and okay, I, think, sure. I think it's largely because in my head— it sounds like one of those commercials where it's the kids versus the adults debating if it's the like the shredded whole wheat or the frosting. Um, sure, that's the like the disparate parts of me arguing about what they like better. Um, <laughs> I I fucking I loved cinnamon toast crunch, but like you know like most of the like sweet cereals were just were too much for me. But I also wasn't like I don't know I don't want just like bran flakes Cheerios are fine like but like. Grape nuts is like that perfect balance, especially because I don't know if I've ever told you this, Michael. I feel like I might have at one point or another. Uh, but at a young age, I was taught that if you if you take grape nuts, put milk, like a, a sprinkle, like a spoonful of sugar around on them, and a pat of butter, heat that shit up, and it becomes this like comfort food, like 
buttery, creamy, sweet, but like hearty, almost like a porridge. Oh my God. Like I, I, I just think about it all the time and how much I love it. And that like, this feels like a very Missouri thing. I mean, it probably is knowing where both of my parents grew up. Uh, but like, also would make sense given the, the proximity to the, the brewing culture around here. Cause like, if you've ever been near a brewery while production is happening and the air just smells like roasted barley, like toasted yeah. barley, that's grape nuts. Well, yeah, I mean, that, like grape nuts is mostly oh. barley. Uh, and so like that association for me, like I smell that I'm like, mm, warm grape nuts. And that might also be why I grew up to like beer so much. I don't know. I, I, I can't prove that, but like. That's your theory? Nah. I, yeah. See, I grew up in uh, Baldwinsville and the Budweiser plants right yeah, there. So yeah. you smell that every day. Yeah. Because it was perfectly in between where I lived and where the high school was. So like I got it at home and I got it at school because it used to smell like it throughout the whole school as well. Dude. Um, because the Budweiser plant was, I mean, it was huge. It was one of the largest in the Northeast. So it's, you know, it's, I was thinking about, it was everywhere. I was thinking about this the other day uh, and breweries specifically is, is what, kicked it off for me because I live across the street from one. There's a bunch in the area. So large portions of the city of St. Louis often smell like that just warm, comforting, heavy barley scent, especially when the weather's sure. a little dreary and like it kind of lingers. Much the same as like if you ever go to like a food festival or like near like a, a real good like fresh, like everything slow and slow smoked all day barbecue on like a cool fall day and that smell lingers from like a mile away and you're just like oh my god i mean we ended up getting barbecue yesterday specifically because of that concept i'm getting off track mm -hmm. but it made me think about when we were growing up the city of fulton alone had a brewery a glass manufacturing plant where they made the bottles to put the beer in um and uh a, a chocolate factory that like, a yeah. Nestle's fucking chocolate factory. The city smelled like chocolate growing up. And I could not imagine a world as a kid where the entire city smelled like chocolate, that that city was just going to crumble in my lifetime <laughs> and how like dreary it is. I, I heard recently, somebody told me recently that the plant is finally being converted into like a big, like residential, like mixed use uh, complex, which is dope. I'm glad that that's finally happening. But, like, I just remember in my childhood thinking, like, this city's unstoppable, man. We got beer, glass, and chocolate. Fucking powerhouse. And then, like, <laughs> you, know, you got the AB plant just a, a little way down the road. And then the steel mill's a little bit down the road. Like, central New York. Like, making china, making steel, making glass. Like, everything. Now, nothing. Nothing. Not yeah, even avocados. Kind of, uh, not even avocados. is because the piranha women have, have the... Uh, <laughs> The, have cornered the market on avocado distribution, apparently. Uh, so, yeah, so we're continuing on with Sexy September, right? And uh, we started off with, uh, with a rough start. It was bad. Uh, let's let's, it was, let's it, be honest. It was bad. It, it was bad. It was a bad start. But I think we've kind of made up for it with uh, this next movie, which, as you guys have seen, if it's not cut off, is Cannibal Women in the Avocado Jungle of Death, which... <laughs> We it, that's a name. If, I mean, we were trying to to think of. Actually, I think it was honestly. I think it was when we were planning for the month of September of 2018, uh, and we were planning Alien Invasions. I was perusing Tubi and saw the title of this film and filed it away as like, well, obviously we're going to do this one someday. But uh, <laughs> right. you know, like three, almost four years. Yeah, I guess it would have been like four years ago. Which fuck. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, for real. Yeah. 
<laughs> was already thinking about doing this film. And here we are now, finally, in our sexy September. And you suggested this. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, it's about fucking time. It is. I mean, you know, we have delayed on this one. And I'll, you know, especially for Sexy September, there are two stars in this one that I think really, like, th this is a good choice because we have both Shannon Tweed and Adrian Barbeau. Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. those are two, I mean, these are very well-known sort of screen queens uh, of the sort of 80s and early 90s. You know, Shannon Tweed, uh, specifically, she was in, um, uh, I, and more specifically, she was in Playboy in 1981, uh, but she was in a whole bunch of things. Dude, Detroit um, Rock I'm, City? Yeah, Detroit Rock City. Uh, uh, no Contest. Uh, is that, it, who is that? Robert Davi. Oh, Andrew Dice Clay. Yeah. Roddy Piper was hey. in that one. All right. <laughs> yeah. I actually just saw a really uh, 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 fun thing from George Carlin on Andrew Dice Clay where he talks about Andrew Dice Clay's comedy is is like he's doing it wrong because he's punching down uh punching down instead of punching up mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. he was like you know look you know do you do you but like remember you know remember what comedy was for like it was to kind of poke fun at the people in charge and not the people already getting punched that's i mean this is very interesting that's exactly like some coworkers and I were just having this conversation about uh Chappelle the other day about how he forgot that the point is to punch upwards yeah uh, yeah yeah like that's yeah. That's an important perfect, thing perfect to modern example to remember in comedy is like people who are already suffering don't need to be the butt of your jokes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. People who are already uh, suffering like us oh, watching most of these fucking movies. Yeah. <laughs> But of our own jokes. Uh, no, I'm, I'm trying to think of. She was in a famous show, and I can't. Oh, she was also in VIP. She was in VIP. Yes, uh, she, she was, was in VIP. She was in Parker yeah. Lewis can't lose. She and uh, yeah. uh, the woman who plays Bunny, who was Karen Waldron, were both in Baywatch. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Shannon um, Tweed had parts in like a bunch of like basically any like major like 80s early 90s tv show that you've heard of she was probably in at least one episode in uh she's been in a bunch of movies she's like, had a very long career uh with you know she was in the original 21 jump street um i think i saw miami vice on this list so like there's a good chance if you watched tv at all during this era you knew who shannon tweed was or at least encountered her at some point yeah, so so those are our three leading ladies, and then of course, out of fucking nowhere. I mean, I guess maybe uh, in 1989 this doesn't feel out of nowhere, but today, fucking Bill Maher. So there's a couple of things about this. One is that I don't remember Bill Maher being an actor before he was just a boring, mediocre pundit. Um, but apparently, oh, I remember him being a comedian. It's, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, which I mean, basically the same in, in modern <laughs> political sure. poetry. Sure. Uh, yeah. Speaking of not remembering to, to punch upward, uh, but here's <laughs> like young Bill Maher to me. Here's here's my hot take. Young Bill Maher is like if some shitty dude now was like a super fan of Paul Rudd and found a way to go back in time and was like, I'm gonna beat him to it. I'm gonna be famous before Paul Rudd, being Paul Rudd. Except he forgot that he's just a shitty dude and can't be Paul Rudd. <laughs> yeah okay uh that's that's a hot take <laughs> yeah i mean bill maher spent i mean i get that you know bill maher is kind of the 
seemingly the butt of the joke uh, uh, throughout the entire movie. Like he is supposed to be the overconfident, but but kind of a you know loser man. Like he mm-hmm. he is exactly you know what Doctor Margot Hunt is <laughs> is kind of shitting on the whole time, where she's like, "This is feminist studies. Like this is the the typical man that like." This is the guy that falls upwards, right? And he does yeah. through the movie, oh, yeah. you know? But it's like, you know, it's definitely this is the guy that she's like, these are the fucking idiot people that are getting all the attention and they these aren't the men that deserve it. And so, like, I made the comment earlier that I'm not sure exactly what message this, this movie is trying for. Uh, and on the surface, it's like, oh, it's it's promoting feminism. And, like, here you have this perfect example of a bumbling chauvinist who is, like, uh, like comic relief at best in this film, um, but then I mean, but then they written that exactly, way. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but then they they take it the extreme opposite way, where like the quote unquote feminists are like viral, like violent and cannibalistic and like aggressively anti male and whatnot, which is what feminism is portrayed as to to vilify it and like you know. To, to try to, to, to stop the, the movement. Uh, and so it's like, what, where actually is your message here? It's really interesting because they give Dr. Margot Hunt, played by Shannon Tweed, a perfect moment to be like, look, like you guys are both on the extremes. Like there, there is a, there is a better way Mm -hmm. kind of more in the middle ground. And look, like, you know, they, they even say like, this is a far, like they've gone so far left that they become cannibal feminists, you know? Right. So like, this is clearly a more moderate to, you know, right leaning, uh, kind of, you know, initial take on things, but like, there is, there is a message, like she had the perfect moment to be like, look, like you don't have to, subjugate and cannibalize your people like you can live like she even says like no you guys should meet work out your differences and then go from there but like you're still allowed to be your own person like there's the great message at the very end when uh bunny runs off to get married to be like yeah but that's the great thing about feminism is you could choose to be a housewife or go off and be, you know, a, a well-studied, you know, independent or both. Yeah. And that's the the message that could have been said, but it just is like, it was just missing a couple of words to, to kind of get that message across. And it, I think yeah. that is, a, I think is also a product of its time, which still feels weird to say because it's only 1989. Yeah, like it was within our lifetime. So like, we're a product of its time too. Uh, <laughs> but like, yeah, like you, you make that point. Like she, she is like, three quarters of the way to that message of like, whatever you choose to do with your life, bunny, like whatever makes you truly happy. Like that is a feminist choice because it's, it is making sure that you are uh, like true to yourself uh, and who, what being a woman means to you. Awesome. Love that. But instead it's like, ah, you're too stupid to get it. So just go be a housewife. (laughs) And I'm like, you were so (laughs) close. You were so close. (laughs) <laughs> what a weird, what a weird way to be like, that. Ah, you're just dumb. And be like, that's the moral of the story. Yeah. And it's like, what the fuck? And like, that was the weirdest thing. She's like, yeah, you're not smart enough. <laughs> like, literally, not even jokingly, she's like, nah, you're just dumb. So you have to just be a housewife instead of attempting, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, this where she even says, like, she took three years of, of uh, home economics. So, like, she had 
occur yeah like i get home economics is kind of a bullshit like course naming but like she learned great culinary skills you know like, like she learned a lot of good things in this in these classes that she could have taken and done something with but they're like nah you're just too stupid i was like <laughs> ellen and i talk about this all the time like you know she was super into home economics in uh school because there was you know the the hands-on things that she was good at the uh crafting elements the stitching and mending and then creating and Less so the cooking. She wasn't super into cooking, but like baking. Sure. Uh, all of these things that like are were presented to us as like, no, that's women's work and that's why women take home economics. But I think about it like I kind of remember the basics of sewing, but like that's a valuable skill. I stumbled into cooking on my own and I love it, but like learning some actual techniques would have been nice. And like there's there's all this stuff that like I I wasn't into woodshop. I was terrified of cutting off my fingers. The closest to like, yeah, the closest I enjoyed to what? What are they calling it when we were in high school? It was industrial arts. Uh, we briefly had like a technical drawing uh, class, and I kind of enjoyed that because I I did well at it. But like, I you know, I realized there was going to be a lot of math, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to you know carry <laughs> carry forward with it as like a like I was like oh architecture like this is like the like architecture. But I was like oh there's math involved. But like, <laughs> all of that to say like it's it's a it's a bullshit uh binary and like you you do this or that uh and it's, i don't know I, I lost the i lost the train there no i think i mean <laughs> i think you're right like that's that's exactly like what it is like home economics is is one of those courses and you know a lot of uh arguments to things about things like home economics or art or or even like learning about taxes or exactly. the voting system is things that people are like, that's the type of shit you should be learning at home. And it was like, yeah, but my parents don't know any, but my mom barely knew about any of that shit. No. Her mom, her parents sure as hell didn't teach her any of that shit either. Like a lot of people <laughs> grew up not knowing that shit now. And they go, that's the reason why we have things like tax accountants and tax lawyers <laughs> and you, you know, those sort of things, because like, we don't know that shit, so, like, there would be a really great argument for the basis of those sort of things. I think, like, learning how the voting system in America should be, like, a like a year-long course yeah. alone, because clearly there is a, a small subsect, <laughs> a very loud small subsect of America that still do not have a fucking clue <laughs> how elections uh, uh, win, uh, happen, um, because they still don't know what happened in the last one. Uh, well, yeah, you know, like... Judging by some some. And videos circulating the internet, some of them just don't understand what it means to be told, like, no, you're not good enough. <laughs> yeah, for real. For uh, real. But yeah, I mean, like, I learned a lot of this shit at home, but like, most of what I learned at home was wrong, like, objectively wrong. So, like, sure. Hey, well, and that's the other part of it is like, you're only going to learn it based on like the perception of that person as opposed to through a school system that's regulated, yeah, you know? Yeah, well, theoretically. Theoretically, yeah. <laughs> so, so we have Dr. Margot Hunt, who is, as you mentioned, she's a, a she's an anthropologist. She's a professor of women's studies and feminism at uh, Springer University. I don't even fucking remember. Uh, they they feel like some made up. They totally yeah. made it up. It was set at a, like, it was filmed at like UC Riverside though, uh, which I thought was kind of neat. So uh, lots of lots of real world places that uh, you can recognize. The the jungle is basically just the uh, botanical gardens and like a park. You can see the park bench in one scene, which I thought was. And you can see the roads in the background <laughs> when they're like, "Well, we're deep in the jungle yeah. now," and there's like a paved road behind them. <laughs> uh, so Mar Dr. Margot Hunt and her student Bunny, who's trying to decide if she wants to 
ditch uh, a, a home economics major for a women's studies major uh, are approached by a, a couple of government officials from the Department of Defense uh, with a claim that, and here's, here's what really threw me off about this movie. I didn't know anyone knew about avocados in 1989. I thought like millennials discovered those like three years ago. <laughs> uh, it was definitely by, a millennial By invention. three years ago, I mean the early 2000s because, you know, millennials don't understand time, right? <laughs> Fucking got us. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we cycled back to the beginning of the podcast about not knowing time. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so the the claims that there's an avocado shortage and that the, the, the U S supply of avocados comes from the avocado belt, which includes the avocado (laughs) jungle in Southern California, which my friends, uh, I will tell you that if you watch this movie and believe that there's an avocado filled jungle, uh, with the like deeply isolated native tribes in Southern California, then you really did miss out on your (laughs) public education (laughs) yeah especially when the tribes contain only white women that's another one that like you know uh maybe more feminist studies in world history would be maybe uh maybe keen keen on your top of top of your uh your school list (laughs) uh and of course the the army has already tried sending in troops uh to try to regain control of the avocado supply lines uh, from the the native uh, avocado women or I'm sorry the the whether the um, uh, piranha women, the piranha women, piranha women yeah. uh, named as such because they they kill and eat their men which is more like a praying mantis or black widow thing I don't I don't know that piranhas do that but apparently I don't know they keep piranhas in a pool and so that's where they got the name from it's really unclear where they get the name from <laughs> Yeah, the the name. I mean, I guess the idea is like because they're like they all descend and chomp away all the men. Maybe I don't know. It's it it's a loose uh, it's a loose uh, uh, name. You know, it, it could kind of go either way. A lot of the details of this movie are pretty loose, <laughs> and that's okay. You know what? It, it is okay because it's definitely not one of those movies that they're like. This is going to be the one. Like this, <laughs> this movie definitely feels very tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. Uh, this whole movie, uh, you know, I would even say like it kind of lives in like a naked, almost attempting a naked gun. I was just going to say it's of. it's not quite on that level, but very like Leslie Nielsen style. So yeah, like, it feels very slapsticky. Yeah. let's say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you know there's a character in this movie called Dean Stockwell? Yes, I did know that, and I was like. How do you get away with that? Because Dean Stockwell was alive and well and acting up a fucking storm in 1989. He was in Quantum Leap in 1989. It was, was absolutely. So, like, like, it gave me pause to a moment, too, because R.I.P. Dean Stockwell. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I didn't, when I was reading the credits, I saw Dean Stockwell and I was like, Wait, where was Dean Stockwell in this movie? I was like, I don't, there was like four men in this whole movie. Where was Dean Stockwell? And then I saw that it was a guy playing Dean. So it's actually James McCrell plays a character of Dean Stockwell. Like, like, I don't know if it was intentional or if I just wanted it to be true, but like, I felt like he channeled a little bit of the real Dean Stockwell into the character. Just just a little. (laughs) <laughs> just just a little bit, you know, just as an homage. Uh, so J.F. Lawton, this explains a lot. J.F. Lawton created VIP. Okay. That, I mean, so this, Bill Maher was in VIP as well, I noticed. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, like, yeah, we have Shannon Tweed, we have Bill Maher all in that show. And, of course, like, this this level of humor that uh, in, the, in the 
uh, we'll, we'll call it the caliber of writing uh, in this film is very much on brand with everything that uh, Pamela Anderson was doing in, in this era. So, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, it, it was very much like a very self-aware but like, like writer for Pretty Woman, Under Siege, Chain Reaction. <laughs> like, the dude, like, I think we talked about this a little bit last week, but like the, the yeah. dude is like some pretty serious uh, cred. But this was his first writing project, at least uh, his first credited writing project. I, he tried. He well, I'll give him he that. He fucking did. <laughs> <laughs> so, so as we see, so so the military approaches Dr. Margot Hunt because she is the uh, seemingly the foremost um, uh, knowledgeed person in sort of these these sort of you know cannibalistic women. Let's say these tribes of of you know hyper radicalized uh, uber feminist women, and that is why she is brought in to basically go in and figure it out and negotiate them but also we find that we are missing uh, a person mm-hmm. um so there is uh, they find later that dr kurtz who is played by adrian barbeau has been missing for about two and a half years and she is presumed uh captured or dead by these uh piranha women the cannibal women in the avocado jungle of death <laughs> which is great so off she goes, and and uh, Bunny decides to go with her, and eventually she ends up taking her. It was either that or let her go to a frat party, and she was like, "Nope, you're coming with me to this avocado jungle of death, where you're much safer." They say there's the whole bit about how dangerous the the journey into the jungle would be, and like you can't come with me, you're not ready. And then the frat boy starts creeping on her, and like, "Come with me, you'll be much safer." I'm like, "Now that's a good joke." <laughs> Now that's a good that is a really good like dig at that sort of like frat like you know culture I guess so I I think that one was really good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So off they go but they need to hire uh somebody to kind of go with them basically hired muscle. Uh now I'm saying that in the terms is because that's kind of what she says that is basically what she says they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And this scene I actually think is really funny because she gets interviews with three, she goes to this like seedy bar, you know, like it's clearly like a guy's bar. I've never been to San Bernardino before. <laughs> right on the edge of the avocado jungle, a wasteland it's, that no one would go to. Which is Again, a brilliant. There are some point. very good jokes in this film. <laughs> it, it really, 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 there is uh, like there's some good setups and very good like '80s comedy. Uh-huh, I would uh-huh. say like there's a lot of those like easy, you know, tee offs to to the good punchline joke. And so she gets she gets these three men. One is like, you know, oh, I'm ruthless and I got this big old knife and I've got all these other things. And the other one's like, I'm a ninja because he literally was a ninja. And he's like, you know, I'll slip in before anyone notices and I have deadly precision. And another one was just this big buff dude and he's like, well, I'll crush people with their, you know, with my bare hands and blah, blah. And he's like, what's the mission? And they're all standing there, you know, very mercenary, you know, like B characters in, in like a movie like Under Siege, yeah. you know, uh, very you know like typical you know 90s 80s action film guys just like everything that like like kids our age would have had action figures of these characters a like oh yeah a a vietnam gi a ninja and a wrestler like it's you you ask a a 10 year old in 1989 like who are the biggest action heroes you can think of and that's what you're gonna get Again, that's exactly. There are some very good jokes in this film. <laughs> it, it was very, it was very esoteric, and I loved it. 
And, you know, she's like, all right, so here's the deal. Like, we're going to go, you know, we're going to go in and, and you know, get into the piranha women of the avocado jungle. And they're all like, oh, uh, I got to go. I got a thing to do and I got to change the oil in my car and they all, you know, <laughs> dissipate because they're too scared. And I think that's also really funny mm-hmm. uh, as a joke. And, of course, then we get Bill Maher. Oh, my God. Uh, who steps up. So Bill Maher plays Jim and uh, he starts giving this, you know, uber chauvinistic speech about like, you know, I'm not afraid to say that, you know, women belong in the kitchen and that blah, blah, blah. But then he trips and falls (laughs) over himself. And I think that's like, it's the way to set it up that like, this is also stupid. Like, like they're both stupid, you know, like, so I feel like this is where he, you know, the writers kind of be like, See, I'm not a chauvinistic pig. I also think guys like this is dumb. And he even has his moment of like trying to convert other men and even them are kind of like, meh, yeah. for a bit. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, they, listen, that's an hour and a half film. Most of it takes place them wandering through the jungle cracking chauvinist jokes. Like, we don't have to go over every detail, but they, there's a great moment where they encounter and like they're, they're on a boat ride through the, the, the river, which is very obviously just in a park. Um, yeah. And it's like someone starts throwing like crocheted like potholders and stuff at them and they're like, what, what is this? And they realize it's, it's another tribe of, of men who have isolated themselves there and they've, they've made a, a basically a pact of truce with the uh, the uh, cannibal women where in exchange for not being eaten, they provide them with hand-knit things and the men just kind of keep to themselves and they, they do all these like they great like handcrafts and they cook and like all of these things. And like, again, these are great life skills and some of which I'd learn, I wish I'd learned more at, at a young age. Uh, and so of course, Jim comes in and is like, ah, these, these weenie men, they're such wimpy. They're like, ah, this is women's work. Ah, and like, Ah, uh, it's it's, it, it's it's almost there, you know, like because it is it is one of those things, you know, like they they have this seemingly good society, but they do portray them as these sort of like, you know, cowering on their knees, afraid of everything, guys. Yeah. When they could have just been like a cool commune, yeah, like just chilling and making food and you know minding their damn business, mm-hmm. but they had to make it like these weird subjugated like you know lost all their humanity people like it's weird the one thing i will say that i appreciate for a film made in 1989 is that while bill maher uh does extremely tastelessly drop the f-word slur for uh, for uh gay men uh they don't portray this as just a, a bunch of gay men because that's the only thing they the only men that could possibly be into like knitting and crochet and cooking like they have to be gay uh which i think is a stereotype that i would have expected from this film that like that's the that's only what I possible expected. interpretation now it, like again like bill maher's character implies that they are but like they're not written that way and that surprised me yeah, I I was expecting as soon as they all started coming out of their huts and stuff, I was like, "Fuck, here we're gonna do this, yeah, aren't we?" And then they came out and they were just flamboyant and limp-wristed, yep. and uh, it's gonna be the biggest fucking stereotypes. But they didn't. Like they yep, were, they, like, they didn't even imply that no. actually. Aside from his his statement, which wasn't to imply that they were it was it was uh, a, gay in any way. Really, just it was a statement about him more so than it was about them. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting because he even gets shit on uh, instantly for saying it. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you know, I I guess kudos, but like nineteen, you get kudos for nineteen eighty nine. But like, 
But like in 2022, you get a like, mm. yeah, like mm. at least you <laughs> didn't go that far. <laughs> right. It's like, uh, I guess. <laughs> but, like, but like he he tries to get them drunk and like teach them like how to how to like how to really interact with women, which is to say basically how to be a dick to women, uh, which yeah. then of course immediately leads to them attempting to assault Bunny and her having to be rescued. And he's just, Well, I don't I just you know, I just wanted to teach them how to be around women. I didn't think they'd take it that far. <sighs> It's another one of those things where, like, it's they they set up great moments for him to either like learn a lesson or for them to constantly be like, yeah, no, that's not right. Mm-hmm. But he just kind of gets it off with a little bit of like a, oh you, no, you and it's like, no way, rogue. <laughs> yeah, I think I think if this movie were remade now, the character of Bill Maher, uh, you know what? We're gonna we've already talked about this in our bonus episode, by the way, which just had Casey Ryan. We talked about She Hulk episode three. Oh, yeah. Um. Uh. But yeah, like we just kind of already talked about this about like the character, uh, the over the top like manly character who is you know like you get the opportunity for him to like be super chauvinistic, but instead of being like. Oh, you, you kind of be like, yeah, no, not you. Like, don't do that. Like, you are delusional. You like really like let people know that, like, yeah, we're portraying this character, we're giving him as a comic relief moment, but like he's the stooge. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not the guy you look up to and be like, hey, but it's funny. You look at him and be like, it's funny because it's pathetic. Yeah. Like, so we we've already talked about that. <laughs> Go check out our bonus episode. It's available on our YouTube, on the Night Shift Media Group YouTube. It's also available on this feed as bonus episodes, which by the way, if you're not subscribed yet, we have bonus episodes every Thursday. Right now, we're kind of on a She-Hulk kick, uh, but once She-Hulk kind of dies down, you know, once the, the season's over, we'll be back to just kind of talking about whatever happens to be out and about in uh, pop culture. Um, but uh, She-Hulk's great, so you you should go watch it yes. and go watch our reviews of all the episodes because they're also really good. Out of habit, I uh, instinctively pointed on my screen where I wanted you to, to put a link to something, and then I realized like we're not recording video. Yeah, so nobody can see. But, <laughs> but imagine, imagine that Caleb is pointing to a subscribe button, and you're like, "Oh yeah, 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 I should, I should hit that subscribe button." If you've stumbled across this episode, imagine you're watching this on pod, uh, on YouTube, and uh, I'm sitting here slightly to the left of my screen in a, uh, a heather gray uh, Henley long sleeve shirt. <laughs> that's that's very good, you know. You know, for accessibility, we really should be describing what uh, what we look like and stuff because that's not a thing that podcasts do. No, but I really guess it's isn't. because it's assumed that you know the audio. But like when you do it on YouTube videos, like for my day job, that's one of the things we do on our YouTube videos. Be like, oh, I am a man in his early forties. I am wearing a Suicide Squad, you know, a tan Suicide Squad shirt, which features the cast. I have long uh, salt and pepper hair. You know, like th- that would be how I would describe, you know, all the things they're doing. Yeah. Like that's, that's a cool accessibility thing, but podcasts don't do that. I think that's very interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I guess being an audio, audio medium from the start, maybe it's not expected that they do that since it wasn't, we're not visualizing anything. We're only doing it audibly. Yeah. Yeah, but I feel like people people deserve to know what my office looks like. That as I'm gesturing to it, they still can't see. <laughs> they still can't see it. That's the thing. You, yeah, I have a Jujutsu Kaisen scroll uh, for for you anime friends, uh, mainly because my walls felt very bare yeah. until we get our Somnium posters, yeah. which are going to go to uh, my left, but it would be 
your right, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, which are eventually going to be there once we get them all printed up and framed up. Oh, that'll look real and I also nice because you just got a big, big blank canvas. It's just on a that big wall. empty space, right? And the two, the two Somnium posters are going to look amazing right there. And then directly above my bed, I actually got it as a Christmas gift, maybe a birthday gift. Is a Doctor Who like Where's Waldo poster, it. but it's all of the Doctors up to P- uh, Peter Capaldi, and there's all sorts of references to all different episodes, like River Song. Is there there's cybermen there's daleks like amy and rory are running around like it's a really really cool uh doctor who thing um but yeah and now back to I discussing woke hollywood bullshit from the 80s wait what <laughs> yeah wait a minute hang on yeah so so obviously they get to the piranha women we learned that dr kurtz has actually been running the piranha women for the past uh, two years She's, so this is kind of our twist they're, right they're empress apparently they're empress right and the piranha which women speak really french which i love is i was just gonna say that it's, like it's so weird is that they they like speak french and she's like i don't know what language they're speaking it's, it's like it's so bitch, that was french like it's very obviously french that was probably my single favorite joke in the film because it was so subtle and like the moment just goes like that like if you're not paying attention but when she says like i don't understand this exotic language and i'm like that's clearly french that's hilarious <laughs> right and like everyone's named like jean-pierre and jacques and stuff like that and she's like it's it's this it's i don't know it's this it's this it's a real mystery what they're speaking over here but you speak <laughs> english so fluently i learned it from from dr cruz or whatever dr curse yeah i've been listening to her for two years so i learned it so well you know but he's like speaking like very eloquently Perfect. and not with no, you know not even a hint of an accent not even with like, not even a bad fake french accent just like pure southern california beefy boy yeah and it wasn't even like broken english too which just made it even better because it was just so fluent and i'm like this is I'd like I, I would believe that this man is an eloquent eloquent like kind and em- empathetic speaker like someone that i would go oh. and listen to like it would really pour his heart out to me <laughs> oh yeah 100 percent. well i mean we learned that uh that jean-pierre does in fact end up taking feminist studies yes. uh and uh nature human nature and stuff like that for courses from spencer university which uh, oh he was uh, he was uh he played kennedy in the watchman movie weird yeah what a jump. Yeah, this guy from hunky Jean-Pierre boy to Kennedy. He is still acting too. He doesn't he doesn't do a lot lately, but uh yeah, he's he's still still around. Jean-Pierre is uh, Brett Steinley. Brett Steinley. Yeah. Good good for Brett Steinley. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so we learned that Dr. Kurtz is there, she's taken over, and she's like, no, this is what we're doing, and we learned that, uh, of course, what they do is they capture the males, have sex with them, and then kill them, and then eat them, and then feed the scraps to their piranha, which is, I guess, where they get the name piranha women? Uh. Potentially. Potentially. And uh, so basically what she's done is now that they've captured uh, Jim, Bunny, and Dr. Hunt is basically saying like, okay, you know, Bunny, you are going to, uh, or or Dr. Hunt, you are going to do the ritual with Jean-Pierre or we're going to kill your your friends. And then eventually it's like, hey, we're just going to kill all of you unless Bunny does the ritual to Jim. And, you know, Bunny was like, Okay, I'll do it. And I think that was great. Uh, like, you don't know just, what you're talking about. Like, no, no, I want to do this. No, I want to do this. I think it'll be fun. Uh, she's like, I'm always down for trying anything. I tried a bunch. Of, I think I, that's. I, I tried crazier shit at frat parties. <laughs> which, which again, another. super messed up, but a great funny line. <laughs> 
I, you know, I have a question. So, yes. so obviously this story is about cannibal, you know, like there's this, the, they kind of making a joke of cannibalism, but do you remember in the sixties there was a huge, well, we don't remember, but do you remember that in the sixties there was this huge, like cannibal film movement where there was tons of films about cannibals and stuff like that. Do you think that rich white people were actually cannibals back in the sixties as like a, let's get together and, you know, eat some homeless person. Well, when was, uh, when was dumber active? Like when were like cannibalistic serial killers running around? That was all in the that 60s. Was the I 70s, think. Uh, from 78 to 91 was Dahmer. So like, Oh wow. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he was active uh, in our lifetime. <clears throat> um, oh, but yeah, so, I mean, we, we've talked all the time about how the, the film industry reflects the fears and uneasiness of the, the current times, and as does literature and music, et cetera. Um, so whether or not there was actually a problem with, uh, with cannibalism, which, I mean, rich white people in America being cannibals is not far-fetched to me. I'm sorry, it's just not. No. Uh, yeah, like eating it alongside their weird jello molds. Yeah, yeah, when everything was jello in the 50s. Um, yeah. Which, uh, as a total side note, I keep wondering when, like, that trend is going to come full circle with all of the other weird mid-century trends that have come back but anyway i feel like it's going to because there's a couple on tiktok that remake jello mold recipes oh god no <laughs> they all say they're gross but still but uh, you know and people still do it uh but if you think about the just absolutely horrific portrayal of native cultures in uh hollywood and popular culture from like like at least from the the area era that we have documented knowing that it goes as far back as uh, you know, white Western civilization, all in quotes, uh, it has encountered uh, Native peoples anywhere. Like, their treatment is horrific. But I think about even, like, going back and watching old episodes of DuckTales, which I absolutely love. It's, a, it's like, you know, such a, a cornerstone of my childhood. Uh, but their portrayal of Native peoples is awful. Like, absolutely yeah. staggeringly bad. And so much of that comes around the, this fear, uh, founded or not, because, yes, there, I mean, there are some cannibalistic societies out there, but, like, founded or not is this, like, general sense that, like, Native peoples are savage and they're cannibals and, like, they'll all kill you. So I feel like it's that kind of uh, racism that gets I imported and then becomes, like, part of culture to the point where it becomes like people just believe that it's true and then it perpetuates that way. I think that that's probably why, uh, as more of a, a deeper critique of, of Hollywood. Uh, but honestly, if, if it were to come out that rich white people in this era were cannibals and that was why there were so many stories about cannibals, wouldn't shock me at all. No. Uh, which is true. And by the way, another reason why you guys should be subscribed, because if we haven't dropped it already, there's a uh, new movie coming out on Shutter called Flux uh, Gourmet, mm -hmm. uh, which we're going to be talking this very issue. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so so she meets, so Dr. Hunt gets to Dr. Kurtz, they have this whole thing, and then eventually we learn that Dr. Kurtz doesn't even believe in this, and she's only been doing it because she fell out of favor with the media after her book, uh, Women Are Smart and Men Are Dumb, or something. Something like that. Uh, um, uh, it was like empowered women and, or, and like 
stupid insensitive men. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like, had a, a beautiful title, a very very funny title. I wish I could remember exactly, but it's so she's fallen out of favor with the media with that, and she's looking basically for another hit, and so she's spending her time with the avocado women uh, or the the piranha women to say like my time with the piranha women and basically rewrite another best selling book, uh, and. She ends up dying in a fencing match, which fucking random, but also how very French, <laughs> I think, uh, which <laughs> uh, like the worst fight choreography of all time in this fin- yeah. final battle. I'll put it in, in quotes. Uh, and it's like, oh, because it's two women fighting, we don't have to make it look believable. But like, I feel like like these two characters like could have been, I won't say that they were, could have been strong enough characters, not physically strong enough, but strong enough written that they could have had like a really good, intense battle scene that would have been a fun, climactic end to this. And instead it's just like... And they're just sort of like holding swords against each other without doing anything. Yeah, they definitely could have scrapped it out. Fencing foils together until one of them accidentally walks into one. Uh, But apparently, uh, Adrian Barbeau's whole like closing speech, her her final monologue before her death, uh, is a riff on uh, one of the characters from Heart of Darkness, which I guess this film takes a lot of uh, a lot of uh, license with. It's very homage, yeah. I guess. Yeah. All right. The, All the, right, whole, the horror, it. the horror when she's talking yep. about what it was like being on David Letterman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. So, you know, in the end, she gets stabbed, I guess. She literally just sort of like, oops, trips into the sword. And then she's like, you don't understand. And then she throws herself into the piranha pit and, uh, and dies. And now, uh, Dr. Margot Hunt is, is, uh, in charge and she's like, all right, well, you guys stay cannibals. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> and just sort of leaves. But what she finds out is that the government was lying uh-huh, uh-huh. and they were actually trying to basically t- what was the purpose again? Like, I didn't really understand what, like that there was a surplus of avocados and they didn't need this avocado jungle at all. I don't, but the only reason why they wanted to do it was to take the area and make condos out of it. Well, no, is that- because the, the whole idea was that they were going to take the piranha women and relocate them to who, uh, reservations in Malibu, which the reservations, Obviously, a, a, uh, a nod to the uh, shitty treatment of the American indigenous people. Uh, but the these reservations were just like condos in Malibu with like all sorts of amenities and stuff like that. That is like, oh well, like it's going to be great for them. They'll be able to live in in peace and luxury. Uh, but they had plans to. Uh, basically, defeminize them by or fe- feminize, feministize. I don't know. To, uh, defeminize to, to, to chauvinize them uh, by yeah. automatically signing them up for subscriptions with for Cosmopolitan and having Marie Claire uh, and Avon salesmen uh, saleswomen ready to go to like <laughs> sell them stuff. And you know, basically, I, I think it was. It was like, listen, I, we don't expect there to be uh, a lot of structure to this plot, but it seems like what the intent was was to take these women out of the jungle and make them uh, vapid Baywatch uh, beauties for the men to look at. That's that's the sense that I got. Yeah. Uh, which, which, by the way, uh, content warning, the beginning of the movie shows uh, there, there's a bunch of women oh, yeah. topless bathing and that, but then there is no nudity for the rest of the film, but there is a bit of sex talk, yeah. but it's it's really not that grave. It's really just the beginning of the movie where there's any sort of nudity. This is, 
uh, an objectification. 1989, it was PG-13 and had a like a kind of Hollywood star level cast. So like they 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 pushed the envelope uh, as far as they dare in the first five minutes, and that was it. And then that was it. Yeah, literally is within the first, like, five minutes you see boobs and then you don't see them for the rest of... I mean, there are women, they're very scantily clad wearing fig leaf type clothing um but they, i mean they're nothing more than like you know a bathing suit <laughs> say, and it's, stuff. it's nothing worse than you would have seen on the poster for any fantasy uh movie at the time any like conan I, it's type true yeah oh yeah i mean they're definitely more dressed than than the woman on the front of a <laughs> on the conan poster <laughs> they're more dressed than conan definitely was that's for sure the whole movie can we briefly talk about who uh my favorite and i think very underutilized character from this film was um, the, uh, the, the secretary played by, uh, Pat Crawford Brown. Yes. <laughs> as, that scene is so great. As Dr. Hunt is getting ready to leave, she goes to the secretary and he's like, I'm going to need some supplies. And she asks for like legal pads and manila envelopes and pens. And then she's like, do you have any ammo? And she's like, do you need full metal jacket, hollow point, carbon tin? <laughs> like, like, and she just piles like, like guns. She's like, I'm going to need a Bowie knife. She puts the knife up there. Like it was, Dr. God, like, it was such a what would scene. you recommend? And she takes out like two big canisters of, of ammo. She's like, you're going to want to alternate hollow point with the the carbon jacket because you're going to want maximum stopping power. But also like, <laughs> just like, this is fucking brilliant. This is like, again, one of those moments where like it was almost a Leslie Nielsen comedy, but like they didn't yep. quite get there. But like that, like that showed promise. <laughs> And it was there because it's like super over the top, but they take it completely seriously. And that's, that's the humor part of it. That's the airplane uh-huh. humor part of it. You know, like that is, that is a hundred percent that we're like, no, I'm being deadly serious. You know, like <laughs> next you know, time I'll be uh, deadly serious next time. Next time. What? <laughs> Never, Never mind. mind. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, uh, okay. We only got a few more minutes. Is Scott Pilgrim versus the world a Canadian film? Yes. Or... Or is it just like a Hollywood film? Well, because it's set in Canada. It's made by, well, the director isn't Canadian, but it's made with Canadian actors and it was shot in Canada. But is it actually a Canadian film? It's a Canadian film in the same sense that Saving Private Ryan is a war film. It didn't actually start a war to make the movie, but it's about the war. <laughs> okay, I see where your logic is going with this. <laughs> I I see the wheels turning on that one, but I'm not, I'm not sure that's exactly how that sort of categorization works. But I'm with you. I'm following along. One thing you can't say is that I'm wrong. I I like I said I I'm with you. I'm following along. But okay. okay. Uh, um, yeah. Just a side note. Yeah. Is it a, is it, is it a Canadian is it movie or is it just a movie about Canada, man? I, I think it's a movie just about Canada. I think it just happens to be set in Canada, but I think that's just because I think Edgar Wright is what throws it off. I think if Edgar Wright was Canadian, mm-hmm. that is what I would be like, this is a Canadian film. Like this was made by Canadians in Canada and distributed across the world. But I think Edgar Wright is what tips it off and makes it just a Hollywood film. Maybe he's like... An eighth Canadian on, like, his mother's brother's side or something. Well, I mean, technically, Canada still is under the rule of 
of the UK, and, are and they not? He is English. <laughs> uh, the, yeah. No, they are not under the rule of the of the UK. They the com, all of the Commonwealth uh, countries are independent. Uh, the the former empire, uh, but Canada is one of the few that still has the so recognizes the Queen as head of state, not head of government. Uh, like I they, see. Okay. Like, they still have kind of a, a symbolic recognition of the monarchy while not being subject to it. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, see, I should have stayed in school instead <laughs> of taking home economics. I could have taken government and world studies, which, by the way, I, I mean, I, I took that as well. I just don't know shit. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I would, have, I would have learned. I probably did learn that, and that's why I was like, yeah, isn't there, there's something to do with the queen over in Canada. Yeah. I just don't remember exactly what it was. Um, so, uh, and in, yeah, and, in, and just one last incredibly fun tidbit uh, that Adrian Barbeau uh, was uh, associated with multiple Swamp Thing projects uh, way, way back and also okay. was in the uh, the more recent uh, DC TV series uh, for Swamp Thing. Oh, so she, she spans the decades with her association with the Swamp Thing. All right. Yeah, because she she was the girl in Swamp Thing, or was that somebody else? I think she was. So going way back, uh, she was Alice Cable in the 1982 Swamp Thing. And I thought that she had at least one other, but I guess it doesn't really matter. The Swamp Thing, too. Um, But I think she she had at least one other association with the Swamp Thing before 2019. But I just love that when when they do that, when they bring back a character and uh, give them at least a cameo, if not like a, a full... Like cast role. That's what I liked. What they did with uh, Wonder Woman too, where they had uh, um, what's her name, Linda, Linda Carter, uh, Linda Carter, back as like another yes, Amazonian. Exactly. I thought that was fantastic. Yes. I was like, yeah, do that, do more of that, more of that. Yes. You know, can you imagine if Christopher Reeves was still alive? Oh my God. Him like doing a walk on role with like Henry Cavill and stuff like that. God, that would be so fucking cool. Except he wouldn't be able to walk. <sighs> <laughs> I knew what it. you meant, though, and it would have yeah. been awesome. Yes, it would have been a well because I mean, if he was still alive, he it would have been a walk on roll because it, the whole horse incident wouldn't have happened. Right, right. Still be walking. Or yeah. uh, when when even when Brandon Ruth got cast in, like it was such a big deal because he kind of looked like a young Christopher Reeve. Like that yeah. would have been cool as well. And he got to play it again in Legends of Tomorrow. Yep. He got to play Superman, which is pretty great. Yep. Uh, yeah, so uh, Cannibal Women in the Avocado Jungle of Death is streaming for free on Tubi TV. So if you're the type of person that watches movies after we review them, there it is. That's how you can watch it. Of course, if you listen to our bonus episode, you might have already watched the movie because we told you then where to watch this movie. Uh, so if you were the type of person that watches movies before we review them, there it is. You, you saw it. You laughed along with us. You saw it. You can't unsee it. <laughs> Which is is really kind of the uh, the theme for the podcast is uh, you saw it and you can't unsee it. <laughs> for a lot of the movies. A lot of them, not all the movies, but a lot of the movies. Uh, so there it is, everyone. Thanks a lot for joining us for this episode. And you know what? Hey, as always... Don't forget to share with 100,000 of your closest cannibal friends. You can even like knit it onto a like a, a, a potholder or a toilet of some sort, and you can chuck it at them and... Chuck it at adventures. You will get their attention, and they'll have a nice handmade gift from you. Oh, see? That's <laughs> nice. That's a two-for-one right there, because you're such a good friend. That's That's where we're going with this. <laughs> so thanks a lot for joining us, everyone, and we will see you next time. Pat Crawford Brown kind of looks like my grandma. I think she kind of looks like everybody's grandma. Fair. 
Hello, I'm M. And I'm Eyes. And welcome to our brand new podcast, Tipples and Tolkien. Let us be your guides as we return to Middle Earth this fall with the premiere of the new Amazon show, Rings of Power. We'll discuss episodes with you, tell tales of old, and even bring you a brand new tipple recipe every week to enjoy. You can find us on all major podcast platforms, as well as Twitter, which is at Tipples Tolkien, that is T-I-P-P-L-E-S. T-O-L-K-I-E-N and Instagram at Tipples and Tolkien. So cozy up, pour yourself a drink, and come on a journey with us this fall on Tipples and Tolkien.